As a leader of your company, you must stay up to date with your strategies and execution or risk obsolescence. Welcome to the Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. And now, here's your host, Jerry Purcell. It's the Finnovate Show, brought to you by Innovation 360 Group. I'm Jerry Purcell. Get ready to think about your biggest challenges and capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external consultants to fill knowledge and experience gaps or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. The Innovation 360 Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leadership from around the globe and cost-effectively makes it available to you. Get the insights, advice, and systems you need to succeed. Learn more at www.innovation360.com. Our guest today is Michael LeBlanc, Chief Executive Officer of FCT. Canada's largest title insurance, default solutions, and real estate-related services company. As CEO, he manages all FCT businesses across Canada with a network of more than 800 highly engaged employees. Michael's mantra is to make our customers relevant every day, make them better every day, and by investing and focusing on innovation and technology that provides better service to our customers throughout the real estate lifecycle, we can do that. An important part of doing that is being customer-focused and empowering employees to be great at everything that they do. Michael and his team have worked hard to create an environment where employees have the opportunity to do just that. And FCT has been recognized by Canada's great places to work overall and as a best place to work for inclusion, women, and mental illness in 2020 and for many years prior. Michael, welcome to the Finnovate Show. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you again. Jerry, it's been a while since we chatted. So it sounds like, uh, I actually know from personal experience, but it sounds to others, I'm sure, that FCT is truly a great place to work. Can you tell me a little bit about FCT? Yeah, so I will tell you that, you know, I, I would describe FCT as a mid-sized company. It's always hard to capsulize us in, as to what business we're in, but I, I describe it as financial services, which includes insurance as well as processing and product development. So if you look at, for example, title insurance, uh, which is really what our parent was known for, and, and our, when we started our business, that, that was our, our game. We didn't go out and try to sell title insurance in the marketplace. What we did is we used insurance as a tool to minimize risk or, or reduce risk so that so we could change process and deliver a better, faster, and cheaper experience to our customers and their customers. So the world has changed. <laughs> it's like you snapped your fingers and all of a sudden everything is different. And, and so the environment, uh, I'm sure, is impacting your business. Uh, what sort of implications have there been for uh, your business and the real estate market in general? Yeah, so I, from a physical perspective, I can tell you that, um, you know, on March 11th, once the pandemic hit Canada, we uh, we sent all of our employees home. Um, we have... It, I think the up-to-date number is about 961 employees across the country working for FCT. Of those, um, we have uh, we've had approximately in, in the early days uh, when we when we asked everybody to work from home for safety reasons, we had uh, probably 20 people in the office uh, that needed to needed to come in, not necessarily all the time, but were there regularly to perform functions that just could not be performed uh, remotely. Um, but every but all of our workforce. Um, 
remained working from home uh, from March 11th. I think they've been very, very effective. You know, we started a voluntary return to work only because there was a number of people that wanted to come back to the office. Um, and so we, we, we did initiate that in June and we are moving towards a full return in the coming months. So that, that's on the physical side. On the business side, I would tell you that it was really interesting in that, you know, for many years, we had been trying to lead the industry in respect to things like remote signing, digital signs, digital signatures, and many other tools that would actually facilitate a virtual closing. And really, while there's interest, nobody was really jumping on board. But when COVID hit, uh, that world changed dramatically because not only did we not come to, come to you know have our employees working remotely, law firms, lenders, and everyone else, including branches, were shut down, and uh, people were needed to find a way to close transactions differently than they had in the past. There was obviously a consumer demand not to have in-person meetings for their own safety, and so we worked with lenders to now who were very keen on finding solutions that allowed for digital closings and digital execution of documents. The interesting thing is is that. In some provinces, and they're all different, it required us to understand what the uh, regional people would or provincial legislatures would agree to allow us to do. And some, some acted pretty quickly to open up the door to facilitate these types of transactions in the real estate space. Keep in mind that financial services was deemed to be an essential service. So it was not something that just basically closed shop. The intention was to actually move transactions through the queue. And leading up till, to March uh, and the pandemic, the market was actually quite strong. The real estate market in Canada was quite strong. So there was there was a number of trans, transactions in inventory that needed to close in March, April, May. And uh, and they were able to close by virtue of the fact that we used uh, these virtual tools. The other, the other significant thing we saw was that um, moving money became very interesting. Again, I mentioned earlier that branches were closed. Um, and we had uh, fortunately built a product called Easy Fund that allowed us to actually take funds from our lawyer customers and actually move those monies in at their direction uh, so as to allow those transactions to close on time. And then on the commercial side, we, we, we extended coverage um, because where, where certain information wasn't available because some government offices closed, and so we had to create some kind of coverage so as to allow these transactions to be made as well. So there was a lot of work done initially to set up these processes across all areas of our business. And it, it allowed us to actually do a lot of business between uh, March and June. And, you know, because we were able to actually facilitate those transactions. And then I, I think from our, from our customers' perspective, they reacted in different ways. Some lawyers worked in their offices, some didn't. Some of them tried to close transactions in their parking lot or in big boardrooms where they could socially distance. But to a large extent, they did move to a virtual environment. Lenders certainly like that approach, but not to the same extent because they have mortgage specialists and brokers and others that are involved that actually still remain involved in the transaction. But, but where virtual was, was, was needed, that it was certainly available to them. So I would say to you that business in those first few months was actually quite good for us. Since then, though, you know, May was a particularly interesting month. We saw actually pretty significant declines in the real estate space. Um, June seemed to be okay. J July picked up. It was an awesome month as the real estate markets picked up again. And now we're looking at a market which is pretty hot, uh, both on the purchase and sale and refinance side. I mean, you've got interest rates at all-time lows. So from a refinance perspective, uh, we've seen a lot of activity. 
And I expect we'll see more as CERP comes to a conclusion and people get back to normal working conditions, whatever those new normal working conditions will be. And at the same time, um, we've actually seen a fairly robust increase in the number of real estate uh, purchase and sale transactions that are happening. The one business that's still slow is the commercial on the commercial business, and it's both in the large transactions and in the smaller transactions. We see that as there's a lot of transactions have been delayed or canceled, and uh, that that commercial business is taking a while to come to come back. So, so what was your biggest surprise in the marketplace based on sort of what's happened over the last couple of months? I think the biggest surprise was the resiliency of the of the market itself. And I'd say this about the stock market too. Like it, it's you know, there's not very many people that would have projected that we would have a stock market that essentially is is this, uh, the same level as it was pre-COVID in uh, in August. You know, when we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, and the same would apply to the real estate space. Transactions are happening. People are buying houses. People are looking to finance their homes. And so, you know, on the residential side, that that's probably the biggest surprise for me. And I'll tell you, it's also one of the hardest things to kind of come to grips with because I don't know what that means for the rest of this year. So if you ask me to project on what I think is going to happen the rest of this year, I get a little comfort, but I'm not, I don't have complete comfort. And then next year, I have no idea how to, how to forecast uh, what we can expect to see. And again, depending on what happens with the pandemic, we have a second wave. When does the vaccine come? And, uh, you know, all these things that are, are still up in the air. So I was hoping I'd get some advice on whether I should hold on to my condo in Toronto, but <laughs> I'm, guessing, I'm guessing I'm not going to get that today. <laughs> well, I, I would say if you want to sell your condo, it, now is probably a good time to sell it. The market in Ontario in particular is up, I, I think Trev reported like 14% price appreciation in July. So, you know, if you want to get top buck, maybe the time is right. But... But that, I don't know if that's good advice or not. So uh, I offer that for free with no, uh, with no holes. Yeah, I know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> the world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team routinely needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Imagine having a plan in place in 30 days to focus your innovation efforts improve customer experience, accelerate your move to digitization, or increase speed to market. Our guide to accelerating your innovation agenda provides you with insights and time-saving resources to plan your path forward. Contact Jerry to book a quick call or for your complimentary copy at www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Jerry Purcell. G-E-R-R-Y-P-U-R-C-E-L-L or email Jerry at jerry.persil at innovation360group.com. So how is all this affecting your customers? You have an interesting mix of, quote, customers, you know, the, the end ones who own the properties, commercial or real residential, but also you're dealing with the banks and, uh, and law firms all the time. How, how is this impacting them? Well, I mean, again, the banks have been particularly um, in Toronto, like basically the mayor in Toronto asked all of the business downtown and Bay Street is where all the big banks are to basically not come back to work until September. So they've been essentially closed. Their offices have been empty uh, since that date. You could drive downtown today. It's a bit airy downtown, actually. You know, there's not a lot of people walking around other than tourists right now that are spending time in Ontario, visiting Ottawa or Toronto. But uh, I think the thing is, is that they have 
continue to manage their business remotely. They're now saying that'll be at least January, if not first quarter of 2021, before they're back. Um, their branches have started to reopen across the country. So we've seen resurgence of that, which is good for distribution. But I think that, you know, what I see as an opportunity is that I think there's a lot of things the lenders want to do rather than just keep the business going. And um, we're in a position, our people don't work downtown. We have our offices in Oakville, our home office, and our and we've got distribution centers and also uh, operational centers across the country. But we're in a place where we can actually adapt fairly quickly. We weren't a follower of the hoteling, so much like the banks were and stuff. So everybody actually has a desk here at FCT in every one of our offices. And so we ha- we're in a better position. And, and again, we own our building here in Oakville. And uh, so 350 people, we could bring back any time and control their destiny day in and day out. So so we're, we feel like we're in a pretty good place to take advantage of that. So I imagine you're a proponent of holding commercial real estate then, basically, because uh, there certainly are perspectives that, that say that, you know, nobody's ever going to go back to work, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think, I think I mean, again, my, my own sense of this, and I've read a lot about this, because and you can appreciate that there's obviously economic pressures around, hey, let's get rid of the real estate. But, you know, what I'm reading, and I think what I'm seeing from most, uh, most quarters is that let's not make rash decisions about real estate and about you know, remote work and that kind of stuff until after this pandemic is over. Let's let it run its course. And then let's take best practice of what comes out of that and then make decisions. And, and for our company, that's the way we're going to look at it. We've always had a, a flexible work, working arrangement. So we'll retain those for now. And then we'll look to see what, uh, what happens in, in a few years to come. But I, no, I'm not, I'm not a proponent of selling real estate. In fact, I would tell you that I spoke to a senior member of the, one of the major lenders last week and they were telling me that they're looking for more space because when they do bring people back, in order to social distance, provide proper safety, they need more space, not less. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be time. It'll be time before we know for sure. But I, I don't think everybody's jumping on the bandwagon to shut down uh, their offices. So your end clients, by that I mean the real estate owners, will have some changing needs. I mean, one of them is the need for space and issues around cleanliness or whatever whatever they call that. Um, so what other sort of needs are you seeing emerging or do you think will emerge over the next couple of years f- from your perspective? Well, I think in the shorter term, I expect that, you know, a lot of our customers will reach out for more services from us because they, they're just not in a position to actually uh, operationalize in their own businesses, um, which I think bodes well for us. I also think that this is a, there's a heightened sense now around innovation and the opportunity to maybe change things up from more traditional methods in the past. I think that a lot of eyes have been opened around how we could do business differently. Um, and they just never were at the forefront before because nobody faced it. But now, now that we're living in a pandemic, people say, holy geez, this could happen again. So, so how do we, how do we create, uh, uh, you know, processes that allow us to manage our businesses? in good times and in bad times, in times when we can have people work normally and times that we can't. And so I see a lot of that. I see a lot of change there versus what we would have seen. It would have just been slower before the pandemic. I think it's just heightened everybody's awareness of the fact that we need to look at other tools and other processes uh, if we're going to really have a sustainable business. And so different changes in the way the business is delivered and, and like that. That's absolutely right. So if you were to, to look, we won't look inside Canada because that would be criticizing clients, but uh, within, within, the, like, within your readings and, the, and your view of the real estate market and the business, who's doing it right in other parts of the world, do you think? Who's got it figured out? Who do you want to be when you grow up? 
That's a hard question to answer. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that our customers are trying to do it and uh, right, and I'll say that up front. I, I think that we've been limited by legislation and by just by sheer desire and, and priorities in the past to getting these things done, and I think that's changing now because the priorities are being reset. Um, but I, but I, but I, I would say to you that you know when I look at some of the things that are happening in the U.S. Uh, around virtual closings, virtual listings, the products associated with that real estate market space, there there is a huge amount of innovation happening in the U.S. right now, and there's a lot of money. Uh, that's been invested in that, and even more now than there has been ever before to, uh, to to see these things through. So I, you know, we're fortunate that we have a parent who you know operates in the you know runs their business in the U.S. and so we can leverage a lot of that. Um, but but there there is definitely um, there's definitely things that I think they're doing down there that we could do better. But I'll I'll say this to you that when it comes to money movement and some other things, we actually do better here than they do in the U.S. So it's 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 a bit of a two way street. Like it's not we're not perfect at everything. Um, and so there's there's opportunities to make it better in both places. So I imagine one of the things that emerges from a virtual business is issues of cybersecurity and security. What kind of, uh, well, I don't know, surprises or issues have you experienced and how are you dealing with them? Well, I mean, again, it's it's a major, I would tell you it's a major risk consideration. It was before. It, it's just heightened now because, you know, when you do have a remote, remote workforce, there could be opportunities. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are, trying to get into systems and we had a heightened sense of security around cybersecurity anyway but i would tell you that it's all all eyes are focused on that now and, and no expense is not being made to make sure that we can maintain that security so how are your employees hanging in with all the changes yeah so it's interesting and I, i'm fortunate to have a pretty good relationship with most of the people around the company i've made a point of trying to know our, all of our people but i would say to you that there's a group of people that they're really concerned. I mean, they're really concerned about their safety. They're concerned about their kids' safety. They're concerned about their parents' safety. And while I think that's eased a little bit over the last few months, given the fact that, you know, the things have started to reopen and people have gotten a little more comfortable, there's still angst with a number of, with a number of employees around uh, working. So I'll give you an example. I had an employee who um, been a long-term employee of our company. She works in one of our divisions. She actually was one of the people that wanted to come back to work and did in, in June. But she came to see me and said, you know, like, I'm happy to be back to work because, uh, you know, I lived at home. I, I live by myself. I got a cat. I never see my parents or any of my family. So she's really lonely. Like, you know, it's it's had a significant impact on her emotion. And so she decided to come back to work. But then coming back to work created its own set of anxieties around, okay, am I going to be safe? And um, and so I, in the conversation I had with her, I said to her, I said, you know, well, maybe it's best that you don't come back to work Maybe you should look to get some help, you know, whether it's from public health or we have EAP and other programs to kind of get your mindset around what you, what is a what's reasonably safe for you to do because you you're the only person that can assess that risk. I can't do that for you, but it gives you a sense of you know the dedication of our people and yet this, the angst that they still have. There are other people who wanted to come back to work or back every day. They they consider themselves to work very efficiently in the office. And then there's now now there's becoming a bit of a group that have said, geez, you know what, I've, I've been working at home. I kind of like this. Uh, why do I ever have to go back to the office? And uh, hmm. and uh, so we have to deal with those people a little differently because, uh, you know, our, our motto is to bring people back in pre-COVID until we, again, assess in the future what, what the future state should hold. But I would say there's a lot of angst out there, generally among the people. 
I think it says a lot that you have that kind of insight and and you have conversations with uh, with your broad employee community. I think it's really cool. Uh, one of the one of the reasons why uh, I imagine why the great place to work people have recognized the organization so many times. Yeah, you know, like uh, when he, when you start to talk about coming back to work now, I'm not sure I'm the most popular person with everybody in the with every employee. In the <laughs> oh, so like, you know, there's give and take in that. I guess uh, we're back to that. I'm working. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Man, so, it, it can be that people are, are very efficient at home, but, but for our culture and, and the things that we're trying to do as an organization, the amount of, the amount of um, partnership that's required in order to bring products to life and service our customers is, really requires us to do things at a heightened level. And, and as I said, I think we've been very effective, um, but I think we could be better. And so I think that's why we will strive to do the right thing. Yeah, I'm from the old school. I think there's a lot of value in the face-to-face, um, you know, even if it's got a mask in between for a while sort of thing. Yeah. It's a really important part of community. Jerry, and the other thing I'd say about that is that our customers, while initially they were a little bit, give you a little bit of slack, you know, around getting things done, now it's back to like business as usual, like I need to close yesterday and, you know, I need the transaction done now this way. So so their demands have heightened over the, you know, over the last couple of few months in particular. And so we're seeing a change from, you know, patience at the beginning to, no, 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 we, we got a business to run and we need you to perform. So that's another factor that we have to take into account. So it's those uh, customer needs. So for, um, I'll use the word old hand. I don't mean that in any other way other than you've been around a while. You, uh, you've got this figured out. So what would you say to somebody who's new in a new role, a, a C-suite role or whatever? Uh, what, what should they think about in terms of the top two or three things that they should be uh, focusing their attention on? Well, I don't think it's anything different than what it would have been pre-COVID. I think I think the first thing is to establish trust, and you know, not only trust in you, but you trusting the people that report to you or, or working with you. I, I think the other significant thing is is that I think there's an opportunity for people to show vulnerability, to be human, and I think that goes a long ways in in, in actually allowing you to relate to people, and uh, and 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 at all levels in the company. And again, you know, I, I have a view that, you know, everybody's important in this company. It's not, you know, I, I'm probably the least important because I, don't, I do the least. But, um, you know, but there, there's a lot of people who do a lot of work in, in this organization. And that, that uh, contribution they make is significant to, uh, to the overall success of the company. And I, I think people just need to recognize that and not think that they know all the answers and they come in with a degree or whatever and they, they can change the world because it doesn't quite work that way. I think you can change the world, but you need to bring people along with you. You can't force them. Thank you, Michael. I always find our conversation insightful, and I always learn something through the through the process. So thank you very much. I wanted to wrap up this episode, and uh, I always like hearing your thoughts about today's show or other shows. So keep the conversation going by connecting on LinkedIn. Go to innovation360.com to listen to more shows. Download the transcription for today's show or to contact today's guest. Thank you very much, Michael. I look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to The Finnovate Show with Jerry Purcell. If you like the show, share it on your network and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can go to www.innovation360.com to listen to more shows, download the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guest. This is The Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today.